0: Well, hey, we want to welcome you again to River Club Church. My name is Zach. I missed you in the first part of our service. We're glad you're here. I want to also welcome all those who are watching at River Club Live um, on the website and those who are going to be watching later on in this week through our podcast. So we're so glad no matter whether you're here or wherever you are that you're a part of this time together. Uh, if you're new, uh, just you know, kind of a little bit about me. So my wife and I have three daughters. We have a 15-year-old, we have a 12-year-old, and a two-and-a-half-year-old. And last night about 12 o'clock midnight our uh, our two and a half year old decided to wake up and so she was crying and wanted daddy and so I went in there to talk to her and, and in the you know in that that fun place of trying to argue and reason and bribe and convince your two year old to go back to sleep you know, I pulled the God card out. I said, well, "Hey, listen. You know, Daddy's got to go because Daddy's got to he's got to go to church in the morning." She's like, "Well, you know, why are you going to church?" I'm like, "Because it's, it's church I mean, She goes, like, "Am I going to church?" I'm like, "Yeah, you're going to come to church too." And she goes, "What what are you going to do at church?" And I said, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna preach." And she goes, well, "What's that?" I go, "I'm gonna I'm gonna stand on the stage and talk." And she goes, "In your microphone?" I go, "Yeah." I said, "What does Daddy talk about?" And she goes, "He goes blah 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 blah." And I'm like, she's never been in here before. How does she know that? You know, right? So here's my goal. My goal is that you walk away today saying, I didn't go blah, 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 but I actually shared something of value and importance, which I believe we're going to do. Hey, we are in a series called Wisdom Works. And last week we introduced this series and we're looking at this idea of does God's wisdom really still work for us? And we began with this promise in Proverbs 2, 6 through 8. It says, all wisdom comes from the Lord and so do common sense and understanding. So we all in life look for what works. We talked about this last week, that we don't want to waste our time. We don't want to waste our money. don't want to waste our energy on things that aren't going to work. And so we use you know, social media apps like Yelp or Facebook recommends to find the right dentist or to find the right place to eat. But where do we go for the bigger questions of life? And we said, well, according to Solomon, who wrote this Old Testament book of Proverbs, and it's actually a collection of his teachings, Solomon, who was the third king of the nation of Israel, who was known to be the wealthiest and the wisest man that has ever lived on the, on the face of the earth, was, was a man whose teaching was so popular that people would come to hear his wisdom. Well, people compiled his wisdom together, and they, they've created this book called Proverbs. And a proverb is simply a, um, a wise saying or, or, or a saying with, with a lesson attached to it. And so Solomon says, if you want to know what works, ultimately look to God. That, that the Lord is full of wisdom. That he knows what's best. And the promise is, is that he not only knows what's best, but look at verse 7. It says, God gives helpful advice to those who obey him. And protects all those who live as they should. God sees that justice is done, and He watches over everyone who is faithful to Him. So we began last week with this idea. Okay, Solomon says, if we want to know what works in life, if we want to know how to live life in the best way possible, which I believe we all do, we can look to God's Word. Now, now the question though is because. For some of us in the room, we hear that and we're like, of course, God is the source of all wisdom. Of course, he still applies today. But if we're honest, we we struggle at times, and there are some here who we we struggle with the idea of uh, this question. Does God's wisdom still work? I mean, you're talking about a book that was written by a man who lived over 2,000 years ago. You're talking about a book that was written, you know, to people that didn't have a lot of the complexity of life that we have. So does God's wisdom still work for my life and for yours? And so that's the question that we're wanting to figure out over the course of these weeks in the summer together. And here's the idea and the challenge is, will you, I talked about this last week, will you take the next several weeks looking to what God says is the right way to live, looking at his wisdom and try it out? Because the only way to test wisdom is to try the wisdom out. And I believe that if you'll do that, if I'll do that, then we'll find that God's wisdom still works. That though the Bible was written thousands of years ago, God in his knowledge and his wisdom, his understanding and truth still has a way for us to live that can make our lives better today. And so we're going to be looking at God's wisdom for certain areas of our life. And today I want to talk to you about God's wisdom in our work. God's wisdom in our work. So we all work. Now, some of us work outside the house. We work, you know, in companies. We work, you know, in, in, in retail. We work in the food service industry. We're self-employed. We work for the government or government contractors. So a majority of people, that's how you work. Others, maybe you're, 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 a, uh, you work from home. And so, uh, you're a stay at home parent or, or maybe you're a college student and your work is maybe part time, but your parents said your main job is your schoolwork. Maybe you're a high school student and that's what you have to do. You work and volunteer for, for different organizations like you work here at church. And so we all find ourselves working at something. We all have to do stuff in our life that we would classify as work. And Proverbs has a lot to say about how we should go about doing the work that we have to do. One example is Proverbs 14, 23. So Solomon teaches this, that all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So God's wisdom says that hard work is a good thing. That all hard work is going to bring a profit of some kind. But if you just simply talk about things and you never do anything... That you're going to not find profit, you're going to find poverty. And so as we look at that, and we got to ask the question, do I believe that statement? Is that statement real in my life? Because for so many of us, work is not something we see bringing a great profit. We actually see work as a burden. We have a job that we don't want to go to. We try to find ways in our life to minimize the amount of work that we have to do to still get the things that we want to do, right? Well, so how do we kind of look at this tension of Solomon and God says, listen, hard work brings a profit. It's a good thing. But sometimes our work doesn't seem to be a good thing. Now, let's talk specifically about those who work in in, in the business world or work outside the home. I came across an article uh, by Business Insider that talked about the the reality of our work and the title of it was disturbing facts about your job. So of course I clicked on it because I'm like, that sounds interesting, right? And what I came across was this is the reality of what I believe is probably true for a lot of us. Um, 80% of people are dissatisfied with their jobs, one of the things they shared. So 80% of people don't wake up on Monday morning going, yes, I get to go to work, right? They start thinking about, okay, how many days do I have to go to work before I cannot go to work again, right? The average person spends over 90,000 hours at work in their lifetime. So, work's important because you're gonna spend around 10 years of your life in that cubicle, in that delivery truck, in that classroom, whatever you consider to be work. That's 10,000 or 90,000 hours, 10 years of your life. 5% of employees say that work is their main source of stress. 40% say that their job is very or extremely stressful. The next one I saw was this, and this, I this was interesting considering where we live. Each year, the average American spends over 100 hours commuting. Now, I know for some of you, you did that last week, right? Especially 4th of July weekend, you know, you had to go on 95, you didn't want to go, but you had to go and the traffic was just as bad as you thought it was going to be. So what I'm figuring is, is that you have the commuters here in this culture, and then you've got some guy named Bob who lives in Idaho and works next door, and like that averages out to 100 hours, right? You're doing like 10,000 hours or something like that, he's doing like five seconds, you know, and it kind of works out. But we spend a lot of time, what? Just getting to work. 64% of Americans canceled vacations last year, and one-third did it for work-related reasons, even though most felt that they were more in need of a vacation than the year before. So, so for, for a lot of people, they end up canceling the vacations that they know that they need. Why? Because they don't feel like they can take them because of their job. And then we go on vacation, and this happens. 25% of people check into work hourly while on vacation via email and phone. 59% said they check work during traditional holidays like Christmas and Thanksgiving. Basically, work is everywhere. And we talked about that, and then I came across this one, and I started thinking, okay, well, it's, you know, it, it's always worse somewhere else, right? In, in Japan, here's this, this reality, 10,000 workers per year drop dead at their desk as a result of 60 to 70 hour work weeks in Japan. The phenomenon is known as Kuroshi, right? If, listen, if you have to name something, you know, like, I mean, it, it's that common of a thing, right? And I'm thinking, okay, we're not there yet, I don't think. I couldn't find any statistics on, on U.S. people falling down at their desk. I don't know about that. But, but my guess is, is that that's a growing thing probably in our culture as well. So just hang with me for it. Because wh- wh- listen to this. So you've got God's word saying all hard work brings profit. And then you've got the reality of the work and the way we do our work. And you are asking the question, going, okay, is this the prophet God's talking about? Because it seems to me that when God says prophet, he means a blessing. But so often the work that I'm doing doesn't seem to bring blessing. It actually seems to bring hardship. So how do we, how do we rationalize that tension between God says this is something that's good, but so often we live in the reality where it doesn't seem to be so? Well, I think maybe the question isn't, is work bad, but could it be that how we view and how we do work needs to change? Well, write this down if you're taking notes on your your note sheet there, kind of the bottom line for today. The, the, The Bible teaches this, that wisdom is found in how we view, and I would add, and do work from the right perspective. That wisdom is found in viewing and doing work from the right perspective. That maybe if we begin to view this idea and this necessity of work from a different perspective, it might actually, we might actually see a profit that we feel like is one we actually want. Or maybe if we begin to do our work in a different way. We would actually see the, the blessings of God live out in our life, not in spite of work or work as a means to that, but work could actually become something that is part of God's blessing to us. And we begin to see his purpose in even the work that we have to do. And so this morning, that's what I want to do is I want to talk to you about really these two things. One is how can we view our work from a God-centered perspective? from a God-centered point of view? And then how can we do our work in a way where we make the most of the work that we have to do? Believing that if we do that, God has a purpose and a plan, even for the things that we don't necessarily wanna do every day. And so let's look at this. First one is this, is a God-centered perspective of work, a theology of work. And the Bible talks to us about this idea. And one of the key premises is 1 Corinthians 10.31. So Paul's writing to Christians in a place called Corinth. And here's what he says. He says, so whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So Paul's writing to people just like you and me in a different time and setting who had work responsibilities. They ate food. they, They drank beverages like they had life going on. And Paul says the right perspective, the right point of view when it comes to anything we do is to do it for the glory of God. Now, what's the glory of God? Well, the glory of God is it's God's reputation. It's God's fame. It's what God is known for. And so Paul says the right perspective is to understand that our lives should be lived in such a way where it makes much of God, where it makes people point to God and want to know more about God, that it reveals that because of who God is and what he's done, it affects how we live. And so part of that is developing a God-centered view of work. And so let's begin with this. A God-centered view of work begins with this truth. I want you to write this down. That work is both a good and a difficult thing. That work is both a good and a difficult thing. Because no matter kind of where you are, I believe you've recognized that. That there are aspects to work that are good, but then work is also a difficult thing. But that's exactly how God has worked for us. That's the reality. And first let's look at this. Work is being a good thing. So let's go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis tells us the story of God's creating the world. And chapters 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis revealed to us God's original design, how things were supposed to be. Before humans came in and messed everything up because of sin, this is what God had in mind. And everything that he set into motion in 1 and 2 of those first two chapters, right, this is the thing that God wants for us. Well, check out what he did in Genesis 2.15. It says, The Lord God took the man, talking about Adam, and he put him in the Garden of Eden. He put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. So when everything was good and everything was perfect, God gave Adam the task to work. So perfection wasn't Adam just napping under the fig trees and you know hanging out and going fishing and like all you know what well, you know running around like you know he had a job to do. God gave him work. So work is a good thing. Work is actually part of what you were created for and what I was created for. And we see this though, that, that, that work was something that, that was, was pre everything else going, going wrong. It was pre going bad, and I think we understand this. Why are the words good job such a, a blessing to so many of us? Why do we long to hear the people in our life that we care about say, hey, that was a good job? Because there's something about a job well done that brings satisfaction. There's something about working hard that maybe, maybe we're in the middle of it and we don't really like it, but once we get done with that task, there's something satisfying and fulfilling about it. You know, why is it, students, when you study and you do, you do well on the exam that you actually want to tell your parents about it instead of try to hide it like you do the rest of the stuff, right? Because when we do a good job, it's rewarding. Well, why is that? Because work is a good thing. But it's not just a good thing, but we also realize that work is a difficult thing. And work became difficult when Adam and Eve chose to reject God's way, and they chose to live life in their own way. They chose what the Bible calls sin. And so in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's design for a perfect world, and then starting in Genesis chapter 3, we see the results of a broken world. Now, because of sin and disobedience being entered into the story. And one of the results of that was that work became more difficult. Check this out. Genesis three seventeen through 19. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat the food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. And dust you are, and to dust you'll return. So Genesis 3 comes along. Adam and Eve choose sin to reject God. The Bible says we've all made that same decision. And because of that, the work that Adam was given to do has now become painful toil. And the ground is going to no longer cooperate the same way it did because even the earth in creation became broken because of sin. And that painful toil, that Hebrew word in Genesis, is the same word Solomon uses when he says, all hard work brings profit. All painful toil brings profit. So when he says all hard work, he's not talking about just work that's always good, like before sin work. He's talking about the work that we have to do in a broken and fallen world. Well, why is that work still good? Why is it good and difficult? Well, it's good and difficult because of this second reality. Write this down. Because God is at work redeeming our work. God is at work redeeming our work. Here's what I mean by that. The Bible teaches us in Revelation chapter 21 that that God is saying to us that that he says, I make all things new. And it's a statement that reminds us that God is in the business of renewing and redeeming the entire world. He, He begins with you and me. And God says, even though you sinned and that relationship with me has been broken, I've now given Jesus to come to, to die a death on a cross and be raised from the grave so that I can now begin to make right everything that was made wrong. And it's not just you and me who've been made wrong. Everything has been affected because of sin. Look what, um, look what Paul says in Romans eight twenty and 21. He says, against its will all creation was subjected to God's curse. What's he saying? Even creation has suffered the negative effects of sin in our world. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. He's saying, listen, God's in the business of redeeming and bringing new purpose to everything, including our work. So we live in this time where work is still good, but it's also still extremely difficult. But that's what God is wanting to use to bring purpose and blessing to our life. That even in the difficulty of work, God wants to bring blessing. That even in the toil, the painful toil, that work is for us now, God is doing something bigger behind the scenes. And so we've got to learn to view work from God's perspective. That yeah, work is good, but it's also difficult. And so if you're only thinking work is going to be good, when it becomes difficult, you're going to want to push away and say, well, that must not be what God has for me because that's now difficult. It's not the case because work is both good and difficult. Or maybe if you feel like work is only difficult, you struggle to find any joy and blessing in the fact that you have to go to work. But God's saying, no, 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 no. That work is actually good for you. And when we view the goodness of work and the hardship of work as part of God's plan of how he's making it new and using it to make us more like himself and to glorify him, then we have a different perspective. That work is not simply a means to an end. Work is what God is wanting to do and use to make us more like him. And there's painful toil, yes, but that painful toil always results in a profit. That God is using that for a purpose. So your job, no matter how much you like it or don't like it, is a gift from God. That hard thing you have to do that you wish you didn't have to do every week, if God has placed you there and God has put you there, guess what? God wants to use that to reveal the good of it, but to also strengthen you in the difficulty. So don't run away from hard work, but recognize that we need to view it the right way, but then second, we need to learn to do it the right way. And so Proverbs has a a teaching that tells us how we should do our work, because we're all going to have to do it. So how do we do the work God has given us in a way where we see the wisdom of it and we make the best of it? We make the most of it. How do we, you know, knowing we have to go to work, knowing we have to work hard, knowing that it's good for us, but it's going to be difficult. How do we go about the day-to-day reality of doing the work and the things God has given us to do? Well, Solomon says you need to learn a lesson from the ants around you. Look at this, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. He says, take a lesson from the ants. Those little things that crawl around, you know, on your deck, those things you don't want in your house, right? If you're from Texas, the fire ants that are like, you know, the size of lions that bite you, you know, like, you know, but ants, learn from the ants. What are we supposed to learn? He says, learn from their ways and be, or actually he says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Okay. So you know, like he's, he's coming at you with something, right? He's saying, take a lesson from the bugs because you're lazy learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, I love how Solomon's like, you know, listen, I'm just gonna call it a spade a spade, right? You're lazy, all right? But you, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you, Like an armed robber, so Solomon says. Okay, listen. If you want to know how to do your work in the in the way that honors God, if you want to know how to make the best of the work that you're going to do, I want you to learn five lessons from the ant. Let's talk about these real quick. The first one is this. Solomon says, "I want you to learn to take initiative. I want you to learn to take initiative." He says this about the ants: though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard. Like ants don't have, unless you like, you know, you're into like Pixar and Disney movies, like you don't have like supervisors. I mean, you kind of do, but it's, it's different. Like the ants take initiative. You know, like the ant colony decides now it's time to work. They don't have somebody kind of sitting over there with an alarm saying, okay, now it's time to wake up and go to work. They take initiative. Well, what's initiative? Well, if you have kids in our Kids Club ministry, you know that we use a curriculum called 252, and we talk about different virtues. Well, one of those virtues they talk about is initiative. And initiative is simply this it's seeing what needs to be done and doing it. So, if you want to work well, if you want to work in, in a way that, that puts God's best in front of you, you need to be a person that when you see something that needs to be done, you need to do it. That there's blessing in taking initiative. As, as, as a boss and a supervisor, I love it when my people, my employees, take initiative. Now, if you're like a type A person, you're like, well, what if they take the initiative and they do something you didn't want them to do? I would rather correct initiative than spur on laziness. Amen? Like, I would rather have to go to somebody and say, that was so incredible, but let's next time think about this, than say, why don't you do anything? And I guarantee you, your boss feels the same way. It says we need to learn to take initiative. If we see something that needs to be done, don't wait for somebody to sit there and tell you to do it all the time. Learn to take that initiative. It's a hard thing. We're not always great at it. I'm not always the best at it. But it's something that we learn from the ants of how to work. Second one is this, is that we not only need to take initiative, but the ants work hard. They work hard. It says this, that they labor hard all summer. That they work hard. I believe that if God's called you and he's placed you and you have a job or you have a calling, you have a family, you're in school, you know, whatever it is, whatever God has led you to do, work at it as hard as you can. Give a hundred percent of who you are to the work God has called you to do. He says the ants work hard. Hard work is a good thing. Hard work is a productive thing. The ability to work hard is a blessing. Ask anybody who can no longer work as hard as they used to. Ask people who wish they could go back and do the thing that they used to do before they had that injury or before they were stricken with that disease or that setback. Hard work is a good thing. So we need to be people that take initiative, that are known for our hard work. But we also need to be people that learn to work smart. You need to balance hard work With working smart. Look at Proverbs 6.8. It says they, talking about the ants, labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. So they're they're, they're not just working hard, they're working smart. They're organized. They're thoughtful. They're planning ahead, right? See, you've got to combine the two. Because hard work doesn't always result to smart work. But when you combine working smart with a certain knowledge and experience with working hard, then that thing marries and you get better results. So my in-laws are here. They're here down here this morning. And so every time that they come, especially my pop-up, right? Pop-up has a pop-up to-do list that my wife has. And it's all this stuff that he has to do around the house. Now, some of it's stuff that needs to be done, but there's a little bit of that list that are things that he needs to fix that I've broken, right? (laughs) And a lot of times, I worked hard at it, like I took some initiative, but I didn't have the right skill or knowledge to work smart, so I ended up just jacking it up or breaking it or messing it up, and so he's got to bring his knowledge in with the working hard to do it right. So you've got to balance that. So it's important to work hard, but it's also important to make sure you're always learning to do your job better. To be a better accountant, to be a better project manager, to be a better teacher or pastor, to be a better parent, to be a better student. We always need to be working, but not just hard, but learning to work smart. So we need to take initiative, we need to work hard, we need to work smart. But then listen, we also need to make sure that we're keeping a healthy rhythm To our life. Because it said this, that they, talking about the ants, labor hard all summer, gathering food for winter. Now why do they labor hard all summer? Well, because there's a time to work and there's a time where they rest. See, there's things to be done in the summer that they need to do to prepare for the winter when there's not as much to be done. See, nature has figured out how to have a balanced life. The nature has a certain rhythm to it. That there are times in nature where there's work and there are times where there's harvesting and there's times where they're resting. But God has called you and me to develop the same type of healthy rhythm. That if all we do is work, that's unhealthy. But if all we do is rest, that's also unhealthy. But God has shown us that there's both that we need in our life and we need to make sure we have a healthy rhythm. Look at verses 69. He says, but you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? right? This sounds like parents in, in during the summer, right? With their teenagers, you know? Are you up yet? It's noon. All right, come on. Get out, get out of bed. Do something productive. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. So is Solomon saying that getting rest is wrong? No. But see, there's two types of people in the room, There are those who hear that and say, well, that means you got to work. You got to work. You got to work. You got to work. You can never rest. You got to keep going. You know, rest is a bad thing. You don't be lazy. But there's a difference between being wise and being lazy. That we all need time to rest, to recharge. That we all need time that we need to not be available to the people we work with. We need time to recharge relationally. We need time to, to, to refuel our, our bodies. That, that there needs to be a certain rhythm. And God's very clear about that. In Exodus chapter 20, God's given to the Israelite people, Hebrew people, the, the, the big 10, the 10 commandments. He's saying these are the, the most important things. And here's what he says about one of these commandments he says this Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now, there's a lot of debate and talk of, well, when is the Sabbath day? Is it Sunday? Is it Saturday? Does it have to be a certain day of the week? Like, well, you're telling me i got to volunteer. I don't feel very rested when I come to church. Like, you know, what's really going on? Listen, the point behind all of that is this. There are times to work and there are times to rest. There are more times to work than times to rest. But a healthy, balanced, wise life makes time to work hard, But, and also makes time to rest. There needs to be time in your life when you rest. When you rest physically, you refuel spiritually, you recharge relationally, and you need to make sure you find time to do that. And listen, resting in Sabbath doesn't mean I have to sit in a chair and not do anything productive. Productive. It means I need to do the things that will recharge me. I need to do the things that will refuel me. That will reset me spiritually. That's why I think you can have a Sabbath on a Sunday and still come to church and still volunteer. Because you're doing things that are now recharging you spiritually. And it's different than what you do the other days of the week. But we all need that rhythm in our life. Listen, there needs to be time where you are accessible. There needs to be time where, if you call me as your pastor, I'm not gonna answer the phone. We all need those times. And that's part of the healthy balance that we see and we learn even from creation and the ants. So we learn that we need to take initiative, we need to work hard, we need to work smart, we need to have a healthy rhythm and balance to our life. And the fifth thing is this, is that we need to learn to trust God with the rest. We need to learn to trust God with the rest. Jesus talks about this, talks about this in the book of Matthew. He talks uh, in the, the Sermon on the Mount. He says that, you know, that the birds and, and the, the animals, like, they don't worry about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, what life's going to be like tomorrow, because they, they trust that God will provide And it's this idea and this reality that at a certain point, we've got to do what we are called to do and then trust God with the rest. How God wants to make that profit happen in our life, a lot of times has a lot to do with God. We do our part and then we trust God. The ants do their part, but they can't control the weather. They can't control whether there's an early freeze. They can't control any of that. They're called to work with to take initiative, to work hard, to work smart, to have a healthy rhythm, and then trust God with everything else. And we have to do the same thing. Listen, I think for me, when I get out of bounds, when it comes to a healthy balance in life, when I find myself working too much, I find myself connecting with people too much through email on weekends, and I find myself checking stuff, like when I find myself doing that, ultimately, it's a lack of faith. It's a lack of trust. And it's kind of Pride. Because it's me saying that if I don't answer that email, if I don't respond to that text, if I don't work on that Saturday, if I don't, if I don't do that stuff, then the world's going to stop. That life will not go on. When most of the time, it's stuff that could wait until it's time to work. Proverbs sixteen three. Solomon teaches this. He says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. So listen, if you want to know what to do, do what God called you to do, but then trust him with the results. Trust him with the results. Listen, if you're in a place right now in your life where as we talk about work, you're like, "I, I, I wish I could find a job. I had a job. I got laid off or I'm having a hard time finding a job and you're sitting there talking about working hard and doing that kind of stuff, listen, you work as hard as you can at getting that job. You check as many websites and classified ads and call your your network people, you fill out your resume, go to the interviews, take the initiative. That's working hard and then trust God with it. If you're in a job where you feel like you're undervalued, you feel like you're underpaid, underappreciated, well, you got two options. You can either sit back and sulk and feel like I'm not going to do anything more than I need to because it's not going to make a difference. Or you can honor God in that and work hard, work smart, take initiative and do all you can, trusting God to change the circumstances. At the end of the day, your hard work is going to bring some profit. Sometimes it's monetary, but a lot of times it's about satisfaction and it's about glorifying God. As followers of Jesus, we should be ideal employees. As followers of Jesus, we should work hard to be the best boss we can be. As followers of Jesus, we should be the the best students in the class. Why? Because the only way to bring glory to God is to do what we can as best as we can. To view work and to do work in a way that says, God matters to me. And I want you to know that He can matter to you. So here's the takeaway. This is the last thought, we'll be done. This week, I know it's interesting talking about work when many have two days off this week, right? It's an easier week to apply this. Make work a part of your worship. Make work a part of your worship. Listen, worshiping God is not what we do just here on Sunday morning. It's what we should do all day, every day. So what if you view going to work on Monday, or nobody's going to work on Monday, Tuesday, some of you have to, but, you know, Wednesday, whenever you go back to work. What if you said, I'm going to wake up this morning with my focus being on how I work is worship to God. That I'm going to work in such a way that when people see me and I tell them I follow God, that I'm a follower of Jesus, they want to know more about it because of how I work. I believe that if you'll do that, if I do that, if we'll view and we'll do work with the right perspective, we'll see that truly all work, all hard work does bring a profit, does bring a blessing if we'll trust God with it. Let's pray. Father God, we come today and we just thank you for your truth. That your truth applies to our life in very practical ways. And I know that when it comes to work, God, there's a lot of different emotions. For some, God, we, we, we love our job. For some, we, we hate our job. For some, we wish we had a job or maybe a different job. For some, our job isn't going to a, a, an office, but our job is, is taking care of the, the house that we, we have and the family that you've given to us. For some, it's going to class and it's doing projects and it's learning. But God, whatever it is, we want to make work a part of our worship. So will you help us to view our work and to do our work differently? Will you help us to find the good and the blessing in our work? Will you help us to realize that when work is difficult, there's a purpose behind it? Would you help us, God, to take initiative to work hard, to work smart, to have a healthy balance in life and to find that right rhythm of work and rest and then God, will you help us to trust you with the rest of it? God, as we sing this song to you, God, we come just declaring that, that, that our dependence is on you. That God, you are the one who leads our life. And so God, help us to work well for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.